Hello and welcome to the Matthias J. Barker podcast. My name is Matthias and this is a podcast about mental health and moving towards what's meaningful even despite hardship. Today I got to talk to Dr. Mathieu Villette and I'm just so thankful that he took the time to come on the podcast. He's been a mentor and a friend of mine for the past year and a half and he's someone I've gone to for um, consultation on a regular basis. He's been giving me training in relational frame theory, which is kind of the main I don't know, psychological uh, modality that I function out of in my clinical practice, both um, with clients and in the videos that I'm making all the time. A lot of that stuff is informed by relational frame theory. And so we kind of talk a little bit about what that is in this podcast, especially at the beginning, just kind of talking a little bit about, I don't know, that for a lot of people or a lot of therapists or clinicians who use it, it's, it's a pretty complex theory to kind of wrap your head around at the beginning. But um, it really gives you some freedom. It gives you some flexibility around clinical practice that's really impactful. And so we just talk about maybe the the interplay of having a complex theory that creates freedom and hopefully untangles and unwinds complexity in clients' lives. And so that was fun. And then we actually got into a little bit of a disagreement um, halfway through the podcast and we're going back and forth and we really found this common ground that was really beautiful and unplanned and and uh, engaging on just maybe the interplay between rigidity and wanting to accomplish goals and having standards for yourself and but also um, just kind of this openness to having contentment without needing to perform in order to matter and so that has been um, a topic that we've been going back and forth on for maybe a year and I felt like we actually made ground in the podcast today that we've never made on that conversation just kind of going back and forth and coming from two different points of view on that and and uh, came into greater understanding so super engaging conversation for me I hope you enjoy it as much as I do Dr. Matthew Villette I'm so happy you're here happy to talk to you today yeah happy too thank you for inviting me yeah absolutely you've been someone who has probably molded my thinking just around psychotherapy and practice. I mean, directly, maybe more than anybody, I think just our, our conversations over the past year and your um, consultation and just getting to think through different ideas around philosophy or with clients. And I've just been so thankful for this relationship over the past year. This is exciting to talk. Yeah, well, thank you for these very kind words. I really appreciate the, the feedback and, uh, you know, it's a, I feel like I'm uh, just passing to you something that was passed to me and uh, I transformed it uh, a little bit and uh, I feel more and more humble, you know, uh, and it's not that I don't, uh, I cannot hear appreciation. I really do enjoy that. I really enjoy that. But I see more and more with time, with age, with experience that it's, it's, not, it's not really about me. Uh, you know, it's really more about, uh, like I said, I'm giving something to you and you're going giving it to somebody else after transforming it. And it's just, it's just nice to appreciate more that, uh, that whole process more than uh, great. You know, I, I'm so great and it's, it's more like, well, it's so cool that we're exchanging ideas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well said. And I think, I think I've just gotten to be evidence or see the evidence of these ideas change not only maybe my life and how I think through my own suffering and pain, but I, I see it every day with my clients, you know, and as, as you know, as, as I brainstorm with you about how to make these ideas more and more clear, you know, and I think for a lot of people, maybe outside of 
our direct area of study. Relational frame theory sounds like a very, I don't know, sciencey word. <laughs> and and yeah. then even when you try to like Google it or research it a bit, even even if you try to read about it, it it feels very uh, complex and. Um, I don't know. I've recommended um, books on, on relational frame theory to several colleagues and all of them come back like, oh, whoa, this is this is really yeah. kind of a whole web of ideas that uh, yeah. take a lot of concentration. Um, yeah. yeah. But there's uh, there's something rich if, if you're willing to climb. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's not the right analogy for it. But if you're willing to maybe sit with it, if you're willing to uh, take the patience and really open up the ideas, they have something transformative inside of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, how would you, you know? It, it, what you're saying reminds me of uh, something that Niklas Tarnecki, who's a wonderful uh, psychiatrist in Sweden, who did so much to uh, make RFT uh, accessible and uh, more useful to, to clinicians. He wrote uh, a couple of books on, uh, on RFT and the uh, use of metaphors. He's, he's really a wonderful person and, and clinician, really. He, he said, uh, don't don't be, uh, it's something like don't be afraid or impressed by the complexity and by the simplicity of RFT. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, and in a way, it's like everything. It's like it, it can seem like what RFT is saying is so obvious that it becomes banal, um, like trivial. Okay, great. So uh, language thinking is about making connections. Everybody knows that, says that, all theories about language say that, so there's nothing special about it. And at the same time, it can be, as you said, very, very complex or complicated when you start to get lost uh, in the complexity and uh, not make any sense. And, and again, you fall in that place of thinking, well, then it's useless. It's either useless because we already know everything, it's obvious, or useless because we cannot understand it, mm. right? And... Uh, I guess in a way it's true. <laughs> Depends yeah. on how you uh, how you understand it uh, and the effort that you put in it. And it's also uh, true that it is very rich and complex and useful. Uh, mm. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. A lot of people have experienced it. So well, it's, and uh, the it's way paradox. I can do that too is is that language is complex. And so if this is a theory about how humans are impacted by their capacity to use language. And then uh -huh. here's and then here's interventions. Here's a theory of psychotherapy, and that will help you have more flexibility around um, yeah. not just how to use language within your own self, but then how to help other people use language to better themselves or better their situations yeah. or give them more flexibility in order, you, you know, to interact with whatever problem they're facing. It's of course that's going to be complex. Yeah. It's as complex as the human experience is complex, and um, like an analogy, it's complex and it's simple. No. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, an analogy that, that I often use in, in practice that I think we kind of came up with in a conversation together, I, I don't remember, but it's like, it's the difference between a scooter and a car. Like a scooter is a very, very simple vehicle that can get you somewhere like pretty quick. Like you can just hop on a scooter, like and grab on and just kick and, mm -hmm. and off you go. And, and you can get somewhere, you know, if, if you need to go down the block, if you need to, you know, go to the gas station. Like I, I lived next to a gas station growing up and I'd always ride my scooter over there and get some Pokemon cards. And that was my vehicle of choice. Yeah. And, uh, but then, you know, a car is, is a really complex vehicle. It has a million different things that can go wrong <laughs> and tons of different things that can break down. And um, yeah. it's hard to learn how to do. It's hard to get your license. Like there's just worlds of complexity to be able to operate a car efficiently. 
But then once you do, once you learn the complexity, it gives you so much more freedom. Like you can travel miles. And if there was a race between someone with a scooter and with a mm-hmm. car or even not even not even speed, if, if you wanted to travel 400 miles, the car is the thing to use. And yeah. uh, and in some ways, a car is pretty simple, right? You, you press your foot on the gas, you go. But um, yeah. in a lot of ways, it's it's immensely complex. And so I think what I really enjoyed about your book, Mastering the Clinical Conversation, when I first read it was, wow, this really has kind of the breadth. This has the, the expansive space to really hold so much complexity and help organize it. And there's a lot of terms you got to learn. There's, there's a lot of, it's kind of a language in and of itself to kind of get your mind around how to use some of the tools that you put together in your book. But once you have it, it actually makes things more simple. It's not complexity for the sake of complexity. It's it's complexity for the sake of freedom and a lot like a car, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, is for the sake of being able to get where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like that, you know, the analogy and demonstration ends with the concept of freedom, because I think it's really about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, everything is like that in a way the understanding, analyzing, uh, creating models uh, is both uh, helpful because it makes things clearer, more manageable. You know, it's like uh, building a map, you know, it's like, okay, well, uh, I'm gonna draw a map so it's easier for me to uh, orient myself in a particular place. But at the same time, as I do that, I start to notice uh, the richness of this place and I want to make my map more and more precise. I mean, you look at the history of, uh, of, I'm not sure you say that in English. Uh, in French, it's cartography, so there's something like map, uh, science of maps or something like okay, that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And over Geography. centuries, yeah, something like that. And you see over the, the over centuries, it becomes, of course, more and more precise. Some would say more accurate, but I would also say builds a certain reality, you know? It's, uh, and, and the thing is, then your reality becomes more and more complex as you're building also this language. Uh, for people who lived centuries ago, you could say, ah, oh, they were not aware of how uh, rich uh, Earth was or their uh, country was. We could also say their reality was just not that complex because they, yeah, they were not maybe aware of it. They didn't have the map. And so with RFT, in a way, it's like, okay, let's understand language in a certain way that gives you a more precision, like you said, that uh, helps you deal with the complexity of uh, of uh, psychological issues, if it's in, in psychotherapy or just how we function. But at the same time as we do that, we also make it more complex. Uh, we can make it more so complicated. Complicated is, is when you know it's rich, but the coherence starts to get lost. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that, of course. So mm-hmm. the challenge for the book we, we wrote and the, the, the approach that we were trying to to develop because it's one way of thinking of RFT for, for clinical use was to say, okay, it's going to remain simple, coherent, but allow you to um, develop that complexity, that richness. Mm-hmm. And then you end up with freedom. It's just, it's just like you mm-hmm. said, it's like you can do whatever you want. You can even remain very simple. You can be quiet, you know, like the saying, uh, the saying, um, those who know, uh, don't say anything and those who don't know uh, talk. I don't remember the exact way it's said, but the, I feel like the more I understand RFT and the more I understand this, this quote, it's like at some point, a silence, you know, like Carl Rogers mm-hmm. do wonderful work without saying much. 
And I can look at his work and think of it in terms of RFT too. So it, the point is not to make it necessarily more, um, it, it's, it's more precise. Carol just was a very precise also uh, clinician. He would listen to tapes again, again, and again, and look at where something went wrong. You know, we think of Carol just as sitting there, acceptance, not trying to control, but he studied also his work and he was listening, he was being very, uh, much attention to this moment of shift. So it's not that different in a way. Well, I like your analogy of the map. I think that's, that's correct that there's precision, but I also think as you were talking like, but there's wisdom when it comes to navigating a map as well. Cause I could, huh? I could use a map that's very precise to be like, okay, how do I get from point A to point B fastest? And mm -hmm, I can find mm -hmm. that out. But then someone who's wise that knows the landscape would be like, well, no, there's a bear den over there. So you yeah. don't want to go that mm -hmm. route because because there's bears or, you know, there's, a, yeah. there's quicksand. Like, you know, there's things that you can make the map precise, precise, precise. But there's also a wisdom that comes along with navigating that that yeah. can't be drawn on a map. And what's cool about yeah, yeah. I think your mm. book was not just using RFT as a way to make a really, really precise map of how to navigate your own heart, your own thoughts. Um, your own experiences, how that breaks down psychologically, but you also infused an incredible amount of just wisdom and bringing these ideas back to your values and who you are and, and making good in the world. And so I, I thought you played that balance really, really well. Um, yeah, that's, that's my impression. You know, I think I, I, I'm glad you see that because I see it as the sign that we didn't get too attached to our ideas. Hmm. And that was perhaps the, 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 the biggest potential pitfall. You know, when you write a book and you try to develop a vision, you work hard on it so that it's coherent, so it's going to make a difference and all. Um, and then once it's printed, uh, you can get, even before you can get attached to it and defend it and, you know, and hmm. the very purpose of the book is to uh, liberate, uh, in this case, therapists, because it was a book for therapists, but you could think of it more broadly, liberate people from the, the, the rigidity of these principles too. <laughs> you know, it's like, look at nowadays, you know, science is uh, used in a way that can be very dogmatic, you know, and uh, science is, is a tool to liberate, to be, uh, to doubt, to question, to change, uh, it's like Skinner, you know, I used to say, experiment again and again, don't be afraid to, ch to change, don't take any truth as immutable. When you listen to that, you're like, oh, is it Carol Judge or is it Skinner? Well, it's the same. It, once you understand that, that even your understanding needs to remain flexible and changing, then you, that's when you, you get quiet, as I was saying earlier, because you realize, ah, if I start saying what I think, maybe I'm going to make it too rigid. People are going to listen and think that's the truth. So it's, there's even a dilemma in writing a book because you're like, okay, well, once it's written, people are going to think that's the way it is. So when I hear you uh, talk about the book in this way, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's, that's a good sign because the very process of writing the book is what helped me for a big part realizing how it was impossible to have one truth. <laughs> when I realized that there was different ways of uh, building this model and they were all valid, then I realized, okay, so there's not just one. There's clearly not just one. At least that's when, where I landed. And that was probably the best listen. 
Well, can you open up that idea for me a little bit? You talked about this rigidity and uh, this dogmatism, um, almost kind of holding really, really tightly onto something. And then this freedom that kind of comes from being able to observe and almost have an open mind about stuff. Can you, can you open up that idea a little bit? What do you mean? Yeah. When you're, well, that? I think it's a, it's a tension, a dynamic uh, paradox that uh, we all experience. I think it's, we can't even really explain it. I think it's just how it is uh, as humans um, and probably all organisms or maybe even beyond. Uh, there is a tension between freedom and connection or you can call it uh, autonomy and uh, attachment. There's different ways of, of, of saying it, but it's like right now we're trying to connect, we're trying to understand each other. So we need to meet each other somewhere. Like for example, using the same language, even though English is not my first language, I, I speak to your language. And, uh, and we try to, to, to say words and ideas that way we can meet each other. We even uh, move our face or body so that we communicate that we understand each other. And at the same time, we want to be uh, ourselves autonomous, uh, you know, like I you want to be able to express ideas and me too. And this uh, once or twice, uh, we interrupted each other. And that's an expression of that too, is that I'm here too. I'm, I have something to say. And it's a, so that dynamic, it's a, it's a sum of tension. So you're saying and, that balance of rigidity and freedom is, is, is in that context of connection. And so when we think about connecting with other people, there's, there's ways that we're autonomous and we're ourselves and that we're separate, but there's also ways that we need to kind of um, constrain ourselves so that we can have that connection. Is that what you mean? If, if not freedom is not, it's not freedom. It's, um, it's just randomness. It's uh, you're free. If you feel free to connect with what you want, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people feel free yeah. when they feel like they're able to connect with whatever they want. In fact, usually it's because they feel connected with, with everything or a sense that it, it's, the potential is there, not when they are disconnected from everything. Uh, you know, in therapy, it's a it's common place, right? To, to, when people struggling with disconnection, dissociation, uh, loss of meaning and purpose, they don't feel free. <laughs> they feel disconnected. And in some ways they experience the freedom of everything could be anything, right? But there is not that, uh, drive to, to, to move toward and uh, to connect. The problem is when you move toward and you connect, then you also can cling, get attached, not wanting things to change. Mm. And that's where you lose your freedom. That's when you can uh, uh, become controlling and, and try to restrain the freedom of, of others. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can really uh, get rid of this tension. It's uh, the only way is to say, okay, if I move, too much toward uh, certainty, knowing, understanding, connection, and I'm starting to not feel that sense of autonomy and freedom, then something is missing. Mm. And you know what? People do it naturally anyways. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's beautiful. Like you could teach people, you could write books and invent theories, but in the end, people do it anyways. Well, I was talking to a, a pastor recently, his name's John Mark Comer, and we were talking about identity and and freedom and just in, in identity formation in the West right now and just in our current mm -hmm. culture. And, and uh, he was pointing to this shift that's happened over, well, in, there's different arguments for how long there's been a shift there, whether it's the enlightenment or just kind of even recently mm -hmm. with social media, but it's a, uh, a shift from freedom means I have um, unrestricted choices versus freedom means I'm free to do what is good. And that mm -hmm. oppression isn't necessarily 
um, constraints, just generally uh, oppression is constraints of being able to do something good. And so mm. there's this, there was this moral split, I think, just when religion became less of like a foundational part of culture, like when the church yeah. wasn't in power anymore, right? So mm-hmm. we live mm-hmm. in a pluralistic society that doesn't subscribe to just one religion, even though, of course, Christianity has a huge influence in the United States. But um, we, he, he was just talking about this tension culturally that because we don't have an agreed upon good, because yeah. we don't have an agreed upon like ethic that we can necessarily attach onto other than really general categories, like don't harm people. Um, it makes that connection really difficult because when we talk about freedom, we don't necessarily know what we mean or what, what comes to your mind as I describe that conversation that we were having. Well, what comes to my mind is that when we, when you say we don't have an agreed upon, uh, definition of, uh, of freedom of what's good and bad and all in a way i'm like well if we were not overthinking it so much we would probably realize that of course we haven't agreed upon oh, okay yeah. yeah tell me what you think maybe it, when i what i mean by overthinking it is if we were not getting so attached to the um, concepts that we've built around things that are essential. Mm-hmm. So then you're gonna say, okay, well, but what, what is essential? It's what you say. Uh, what I'm seeing is everybody, everybody uh, wants uh, to love and be loved, uh, freedom, growth, feeling uh, part of a, uh, something bigger than themselves and and in a way that's that's it then it's the way people express that understand that and get lost as we were saying earlier in uh, too much this or that and having a hard time finding harmony there that can get us confused so we start to think well it's different depending on cultures religions people individuals and regenerations and all these things but if you step back and look at the process at a more abstract level, a more essential level, you're like, it's just the same thing again and again in all ways. And it's always been like that. Um, and I guess, what, what can we take out of, of it? Well, it's tricky you know, because even when I'm saying that, I know that people are not necessarily going to agree, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's... um. And go back to the idea of rigidity. It's like, okay, well, I've come to that conclusion, for example, what I just described. If I, if I, if I want to share this vision with other people, the risk is what? The risk is people are not going to see it the same way. And then I'm going to be like, okay, well, there's a problem here. I'd like people to see things the same way because I'd like to connect with them and I'd like to help them. And, and they're in maybe suffering in the wrong and I need to change their mind, I need to save them and they need to see things my way. And then you see where I'm going, it's be- mm-hmm. it becomes righteous. It's that I have a vision, I have an understanding and if people don't see the same way, then I have to change them. But that's already departing from what I actually described. Mm-hmm. Because what I said earlier, if you listen well, is that 
people are already doing it. They are already engaged in this process of loving and freedom and everything. So when I come to intervene and say, hey, you need to change that, I'm contradicting myself. You know, again, I'm going to quote Rogers because there's yeah. almost everything in his quotes. Says, the paradox is that when you accept yourself, then you're ready to change. Mm. It sort of summarizes his whole approach in a way. And what I'm saying here is that even in when facing dogma, rigidity, even the kind that comes to oppress you, try to limit your, your, your freedom, the response is not more dogmatism, more righteousness. So I'm looking these days at the dynamic where I feel like it's righteousness against righteousness. Is that really new? I don't think so. I think we're seeing it maybe in a way that's more spectacular because of social media. The, it goes fast and it's amplified and it's, uh, the dynamic is it's really powerful. But there's always been a dynamic between people think they're right or wrong and, and that righteousness. So when I'm looking at that, in a way, I want to come and say, hey, you need to stop being so righteous. And then I realize that's what I'm doing it too. So if I could summarize a little bit, just to make sure I'm understanding it clearly. Yeah. When, we, when we're talking about, okay, people don't have an agreed upon right and wrong. And in one sense, you see that we really do have an agreement that we want connection and we want love and we want uh, to be free to connect to the people that we care about and, and to pursue what's meaningful in our lives. And so like in the majority of things we really agree on, um, it's when we get into these particulars of uh, maybe the dogma or like the, um, the, uh, the particulars of how to express those just kind of larger values that we can get into an interesting contradiction in, in the way you kind of paint it. Yes. Mm -hmm. The contradiction of, hey, we should be, uh, and maybe, maybe this is where you could help clarify for me, is that, that we should be free to, um, to express and to love and to accept, but then to, to assert that someone's doing something wrong or that they need to change their behavior is a contradiction with this ethic that really we should be free to love and accept? Or how, how would you re... That. Yeah, I think what just what you where you're going here, I, if I'm following you, is that at some points this reasoning is gonna get you to a place where you're gonna find limitations uh, because people are going to do something that uh, you don't like or interferes with your ability to love, for example, uh, or, or vice versa. Uh, I might start to limit uh, other people's freedom. Right? It's an old idea, right? Your freedom stops where the freedom of others starts. Uh, that's a saying or a quote I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. But it's you could say the other way: the freedom of other people stops with, with mine. So then, what do we do at that point where we start to uh, cross each other, right? Well, that's where you can be like, okay, well, one of us is is right, or uh, somebody else is right, and uh, or we should not live around each other because we cannot uh, agree with each other. I mean, we, that's kind of how we, we try to deal with things. Well, what I'm arguing is that it, it's and it's not a new idea at all. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm arguing is that it's it's the attachment of a certain way of expressing your freedom and love that creates these problems. It's like, okay, my freedom is, for example, I can drink coffee every day if I want to. And one day it says, you know what, we should stop producing coffee because it's not good for uh, something, you know, ecology. Uh, I've heard things like that sometimes. I don't even know yeah, if that's yeah, true yeah. right now, but let's, let's take this example. Then I could be like, well, no, that's not right. I should be able to drink coffee every day. Uh, and then I would say, no, it's not right. Okay. I would say, okay, well, 
I'm getting too attached to the idea that my expression of freedom is through drinking coffee every day. That was just one way. It doesn't matter that much. So there becomes what matters the, is the freedom, that possibility yeah. of expressing something different, of changing. That's important. So there's a shift where people where people error where they um, instead of the point being expressing kind of that love and freedom. So the freedom of a cup of coffee to enjoy your morning. Let's say that's the goal. You want to yeah. enjoy your morning, and they get more attached to the rule of I have to drink my coffee than to the point which was to enjoy my morning. And so yeah. Yeah. you yeah. you might read even more than even more than enjoying my morning. Uh, yeah enjoying being alive yeah breathing breathing feeling myself uh and you know the attachment often comes because they're historically for an individual or, or, or it can be for a generation a society a culture at some point we've found some freedom through a particular way and maybe I, one day i drink of drink coffee I, I created a habit and that's how i can find myself feel myself in the morning yeah. and I, it was great but it was not the only way. It was never about the coffee per se. Right. It's, it was a way and that helped me. But if I start to think it's about it, I actually lose my freedom. Paradoxically, right? I lose my freedom by thinking that it's the only way I got my, my freedom. Back. <laughs> the, the camera yeah, turned no, off. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's the, it's when we become, when we get lost and we get attached infused maybe is another way to say that is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rigid thoughts of this is how I accomplish freedom. This is how I accomplish joy, whatever. Yeah. And, and we stop paying attention to the world around us and we stop having that flexibility to express these deeply held values, you know, in, in a multiplicity of ways that yeah, we can almost yeah. embark down roads where we get really far away from the things that matter to us. Yeah. 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 You need to, you need to embrace the paradox. You need to embrace that. Look, it's it's everybody can understand that if you pay attention to mm. what it's like to be in a relationship and vast majority of people have experienced even short uh, relationship the difficulty of uh like i said earlier uh, having your autonomy your freedom your sense of self and, and at the same time connecting with somebody else especially if you if you move in with somebody you're like okay you need to You've been on the same page about a lot of things, and it's it's, it's a typical trajectory in a relationship, right? It's, it, you struggle to be yourself and with somebody else at the same time. It it will always create some tension. If you if you try to eliminate it, you you're gonna get really stuck. Some people do that by refusing to be in relationships uh, because they don't want to be uh, trapped, mm -hmm. or some people. Uh, end up denying them, themselves a lot of things that are important to themselves because they don't want to lose the connection and it never really works well or it's it costs a lot to people but mm -hmm. if you let go of the idea that it's gonna be uh, um, some would say perfect but I'd rather not say that because it feels like lowering the standards of joy in a way and I'm like no it can be perfect in the sense of you don't need anything <laughs> is when you realize that it's always going to change. It's, it's, you're gonna feel frustration and that frustration is an expression that you're still ex you still exist. There is still somebody else there. Yeah. See, it's a, in a way it's a reframing, you know, but it's not a, an artificial reframing. It's a, it's a reframing because there's no other way. <laughs> it's the experience yeah. that you're having, you can deny it, but that's why I was saying earlier, everybody loves. You can, people hate. 
I do that sometimes. Well, and yeah, I, and I and and so because you love, in fact. I'm wondering, so like the idea of like a lifelong commitment to somebody, for example, that's a, that's a very constraining choice to say I want to I want to be partnered with you until I die, and and every version of you in the future mm-hmm. that I don't know. I don't know what you're going to be like. I don't know what decisions you're going to make in your life. I don't know how I'm going to be like, so that's an incredibly constraining choice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the way I would phrase that is you make that constraint because there's something that you want that can't come without that constraint. Like, because there's, there's going to be moments when your mood wants to shift you in other places and that, well, I don't know, in contention and conflict and you're arguing and you don't feel connected to that person. But if you, if you almost have this constraint that will, contain your moods you know back and forth as much as they vary and flip around Mm -hmm. and and, you know move it's then it'll point you in one direction over time and when you go that one direction over time further and further down the path then you capture potentially that doesn't always happen of course like there's there's marriages that don't Mm -hmm. capture this but Mm -hmm. that would ideally capture a form of companionship and intimacy with another person that can't be achieved any other way And so the constraint is mm-hmm. almost a bet. It's a, it's a, it's a wager with your future self that like I'm going to constrain me now in exchange for a potential for something f- in the future that I want more than the freedom to date around or to be with other people. Yeah. that's how yeah. I describe it. How how would you mm-hmm. frame that? I understand your perspective, and uh, that and that's that's my perspective as a personal choice too. Um, but it's in the end uh, it, i almost want to say it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. it doesn't matter in the sense that whatever you're going to do again you're what's going to drive you is that connection freedom and uh, growth and uh, feeling uh, whole uh, it, whether you're with one partner 10 partners and nobody uh, you keep trying and you fail you get married again it's, I think it's, a, the, the, to me, the, the biggest lesson I'm taking from living and just living and studying psychology and uh, working with, with students and clients and all is regardless of the path that you're taking, the choices that you're making, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be fine. At, you're going to be fine because because it won't matter where you are, who you are with. It's a, the process that you're uh, engaged in. Now it's, so well, for I example, almost, you said, hear you, good. you know, as a, as a rebuttal maybe, and, and we've, we've, uh, we've kind of butted heads on this before. That, that sounds more aggressive than it is. We, we've gone back and forth on this topic a lot is, yeah. is I can, I can almost hear and, and, and maybe a response from you would be like, uh, even even that game of I'm going to sacrifice now to get some form of intimacy that I predict in the future will be really satisfying. You know, that's still kind of a rigid game because the reality is that you could be with your partner for a few years. You could maybe separate, find someone new, that you can still move into intimacy and closeness and relationship with people. And that the, the thing that you're trying to achieve with the sacrifice isn't necessarily attached to only that path, that you can achieve that kind yeah. of closeness or richness or value-driven meaning in multiple ways because that kind of meaning is with you in every circumstance would you phrase that differently yeah. maybe my summary no, of- no i no i think i think you i think you're you understand me well i think i, I could say that in a way that 
there's almost a constant um, a risk of uh, falling in the trap of controlling when you love. You know, when you say, I'm sacrificing something so that I can achieve something. And I'm already, I'm like, be careful here because you're making love conditional here. You're like, I need to do something so that intimacy will happen. You see, as soon as there's an if then, to me, there is a, there is a risk here. Uh, not saying you should get rid of it because that would be also making it conditional. Like it has to go away so that, what I'm trying to say is that it's, you have everything you need right now. You're doing it right now. And from that place, you can choose to be with the same person for your whole life. But it's not because if not, you won't be able to have intimacy or you won't be able to achieve or you will not be, a, do it because it's one way of doing it. Do it because just like you would be a, say, the image comes to me as a, an artist, a painter who is about to start painting. He has all these colors. He can do, she can do whatever she wants. Right? It's wonderful that freedom. I have all these colors. And now I'm thinking of my daughter who loves to draw. And it's like, I want black, I want green. Yeah. And you do what you want. And trust me, when I'm with her, it's hard not to tell her, uh, actually, maybe you should do it this way or that yeah. way. Like I, I, because I'm yeah, seeing yeah. what she's trying to do and I want to correct her. She's two and a half. Huh? And, and she, she, she does what she, and getting a bit out of that mind of how things should be, you know, mm -hmm. it's hard, it's hard. But then when you shift that, then you're like, it's wonderful. I don't have to do anything. I can just enjoy being with her because you know what? She's enjoying herself. Mm. Well, it's not about what it's going to look like. It's that she's enjoying playing with the colors. And I think I agree with you in the sense that if you're like, if you're painting a picture of, the intimacy I have now is, is, is completely insufficient and unsatisfactory, but I'm going to put up with it to get the intimacy I want in the future. I think, yeah, that turns into a really rigid game full of control. And then, and that can turn into a lot of resentment of the other of person. Of course, dis disappointments. And, uh, yeah, and disappointment. Yeah. And, yeah. and I wasted my whole life because I thought this was going to be great. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whatever. Of and so that can totally go awry. But where I might push back is, is, uh, you know, your, your daughter who's painting, there's certain kinds of techniques and things that you practice to increase your flexibility in painting and, and increase your skill that will create more and more freedom when you're trying to express your art, right? And so the artistic um, skill set when you're three or four, of course, is meaningful and good. It's not, it's not insufficient, yeah. but, there's, but there's art that she might make as a 30-year-old after decades of, of focus and practice that will give her more flexibility to be able to create art for you when she's 30. And so they're yeah. both, both are good, but uh, the sacrifice or the even, even noticing something in the moment that, do, do you get what I'm saying? Do you get my point? Oh, I see what you're, what you're saying. Cause yeah. it's a, it's a, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a, for me, it's a paradox. It's a, it's a, it's hard to navigate, especially as a, as a parent, uh, as I was saying, it's a, yeah, how much do I do I give her feedback, shape, so that she can learn something that's going to help her? But the thing is, in the moment, I need to pay attention to her experience and how she expresses it. So I'll give you a concrete example where I really uh, stumbled on that. Uh, I, I, we were actually painting uh, together. We we're painting rocks. And there was a rock that she had already painted in brown uh, one week before. And I thought we would add things to, to you know, draw maybe uh, character, something like that. And 
So at first I have a sec, what color do you want to use? And she wanted to use brown. I say, what, uh, which one do you want to paint? And she picks the one that was already brown. And so of course my mind goes to, well, it's already brown. We're not going to paint it running. And start to explain that to her. And she looks at me really like, <laughs> like it's not so much the, the, I don't understand. In some ways, yes, I was thinking, okay, she doesn't get it. But I think she, arguably it's more, I didn't get it. It's like, it's just, she was just enjoying something that I don't understand anymore. And so your, your, your point, I, I, I understand what you said. She will be able to do things. But from her perspective, it's, it's, it's absolutely irrelevant. What she will be able to do uh, when she, later and she will be able to be more free. I mean, she's totally free right now. And in fact, mm. she will be less free later if I start to tell her that she should not paint round on brown because we, now it's not going to make a difference. Imagine what she could learn from this experience if I push too much, is that she cannot trust herself when she wants to do something or that painting the same color of another color is a wrong idea. You know, there are artists who've painted things that are all black, but then you look at uh, more carefully and it's, there's a lot of nuances and, and you might say, oh, it's not the same thing. Well, I'm sure that at the, at the beginning, I think it's uh, Soulage, the artist, uh, Mm. Uh, is I, I'm sure a lot of people must have thought, come on, it's everything is doing is just black. What's the point? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, modern artist. It's not. It's not. There's nuances. There's light, and it's it's amazing to to, to see. So you you can never really predict what's going to happen. You know, you think, well, if I don't learn, if I don't, then I'm not going to be as free. I'm not going to have as much intimacy. You will find it anywhere, no matter what. That's the lesson. You will find it in you, no matter what. Yeah. Well, and and I so. Hmm. I think you're. I think I I hear your point in the sense that your daughter's enjoying painting in this moment as a child, and that is pure and that is good, and it doesn't need to be of higher skill for her to enjoy it more. I um, I wonder though, as she continues to get older and older, there's almost this expansion of the skill of painting, that is going to give her more freedom in the sense that she'll have more options and and yeah. get to paint you know rocks that are gray not just brown right and and that is the expansion or the uh maybe even the ascension and this is a metaphor that you and i've wrestled back and forth with like i'm very and maybe this is just my christianness or, or maybe my westernness i don't know what it is but like i'm very much like i want to move from point a to point b because i think point b is better and and i want to ascend to get there and there's something good at the top of the mountain yeah and there's a the linear, linear thinking that's yeah. so uh, strong in our cultures. And yeah. it's, it's not- and you push me on that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not useless. And, and trust me, I, I have that in my, almost in my DNA too. But uh, what I also have in my DNA and most strongly as everybody, it's the non-linear thinking. Mm-hmm. And the struggle of life to me in, in many ways could be summarized uh, uh, by this struggle between linearity and non-linearity. And, once you, you accept your non-linearity, then you realize there's not that much to struggle with. It's, it was all about how can I fit my complexity, my richness, my wanting to be this and that and uh, into something that needs to have a goal and be evaluated. And, uh, and then at some point you're like, well, it doesn't work. Like, oh, may, you know, maybe I don't have to do that. So for example, yeah, she, she will be able to draw different things, out, but she will, First of all, she, she, she can learn a lot of things by herself. So second of all, 
she will see me, for example, draw things and because I draw things and she will want to do it too. So she can imitate to some extent, but she can also um, uh, ask for help. Mm. She, she, how can I draw? Teach me how to draw, you know? And she, so, so it, it, it can come. And that's not to say I cannot make suggestion, but the idea that I have a vision for her and it's gonna help her, she'll be more free. We, are, we need to be very careful with that. Very careful in psychotherapy, in education, in the politics, everywhere. We need to be careful with this idea that we know better than the person we're helping. Mm. And again, Carl Rogers was very, very, very uh, uh, strong <laughs> with this idea. That I don't want to teach people. I want, I want to help people really discover themselves, find their, their own, their own uh, truth. And I agree more and more with that. And I, I, I'm definitely guilty looking back at um, teaching too much, uh, telling people too much what's going to, to be good for them. Uh, and it's out of good intention, but uh, it's, it's already flawed when you start thinking in this way. It's, th th there's already a, something mm -hmm. in this process that's going to lead to, to, to an, an, an issue. People will rebel against it or they will follow too much what you're saying. But again, like I said earlier, at some point still, uh, it's gonna break anyways. <laughs> well, I, and I think, and I love what you're saying because it, it, it exposes the, the um, kind of maybe the slavery of that linear thinking of, I can only be happy if I blink. I can only mm -hmm. enjoy my marriage if it looks like this. Yeah. I can yeah. only, you know, good art looks like this. If I'm not exactly. good at that, then I'm making bad art. Like there's this, yeah. there's these um, contrasts and these standards that we set for ourselves that ruin contentment, that ruin mm -hmm. happiness because happiness yeah. isn't in achieving all your standards. Happiness is being content in this moment because this moment is all you have. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I might, I might drive home tonight to my family. I might not. And, and I have everything around me in this moment to be completely content. Even, even amidst suffering, and suffering doesn't cancel yeah. that out. And yeah. that's the uh, wonderful paradox of, of, I think, finding that happiness or contentment I like better because it's, it's not bound to the commercialized, achievement-driven, mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know, individualism that we worship in our culture. Yeah. Um, do you like yeah, that summary, or how would you, how would you modify I, I, I do, it? I do, I do. And I also want to point that... That should what you just said should not lead to rejecting the other side of the paradox is that you also want to explore, to create, to change, and that's okay. So I like when you say about being content, but if content means, and it's an idea that's been developed more and more in Western cultures recently, influenced by mindfulness and uh, and as a way of rebelling against this culture of constantly achieving, looking for something better, which we start to move toward, you don't need anything, you have everything you need, present moment and everything. And that's fine, except that, again, look at your experience. Uh, you, you, you want novelty, you want to change, you want expression, you want to grow. And you, you shouldn't try to rebel against that either. So it's this paradox of being both content and not content, both wanting things to yeah. change and not needing things to change and it's it is it seems like it's impossible until you notice that what's impossible is to 
have both in a fixed way, like as if you mm. could have the levels of a, you know, like a, some liquid or something. And say, okay, it's perfect, the right amount. But it's not exactly like that. It's more. It's it's in movement. It's changing, and and then you're like, all right, I see it. I feel both wanting to be to live alone and live with my partner together, and that's completely normal. <laughs> Once you really get that sense, that's completely normal. That I want two things that are completely in opposite, and that's wonderful. Then you're fine, mm. and of course you're not fine because you're gonna experience also something that's coming in contradiction. But that's what creates life to me, or creates it's yeah. the, it's the ex- well, I, experience of life. I agree with you. I I think the I often find myself making the case for um, why the linear thinking can actually have some advantages to it if it's not done completely rigid and in, in, in complete rigidity. And, and I like your um, distinction of it can't be one or the other distinctly. They have to both be in the same space. That yeah. Contentment, and there has yeah. to be openness to change. And I think that is a beautiful way to put it because like when I think about it, even like a marriage, right? You going back to that example of I'm going to constrain my options. Um, you know, I'm, I'm picking a place that won't change, you know, so I, I'm going to be married to this person until yeah. I, and of course people make different decisions and change that like that's that's subject mm-hmm. to change but um you when i set out for that task i'm hoping it doesn't change i'm hoping it stays together and what i'm hoping for is more of the thing that i'm content with already yeah, sense. yeah. Like i want to yeah 50 years of marriage is a an expansion it's a flower that opened up of a flower that i already loved and yeah it's yeah not that it the thing i had when i was 20 and got married is insufficient in the sense that it, it it's not worth having on its own. It's that I want, I love it and I want it so much that I want it to grow and expand uh-huh. and uh-huh. fill my life. And so yeah. that's, I think the advantage of setting goals, being, um, being not just content with change, but almost wanting change, wanting improvement and not, I don't shy away from a word of something like better and improvement and, and all these things when I think our culture gets really worried because you're putting value judgments into things and mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. better or worse, but I almost, I try to hold that space of, no, it's just, I want more of the thing I love so much. And when, I, when I'm disciplining myself to play piano and learning my scales, it's not because mm-hmm. I, I, I hate the playing that I'm doing already. It's that I love it and I want to expand it. And I was maybe yeah. also playing with the painting. Yeah. As long as you're not judging what you're doing as not enough, you know, mm. but it's more like, oh, I'd be curious to be able to do something difference and so i'm gonna practice so that i can do something different it's then it looks more like you know like you're 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 on a hike and you reach a uh, summit of a little uh, little mountain and you have great view and then you see oh there's something a little bit above uh, it's funny as i'm saying that i have a reminiscence of my dad when we would go on a hike we'd often say oh maybe we could go uh, to this uh point there that's a little higher and i remember as a kid often being frustrated because you know when you're a kid you, you like hiking but at some point you're tired and it was like Oh, what's the point? Uh, oh, man, maybe there's a different view there. And yeah, because he was experiencing it as something he could do. It's, a, it's a, the freedom of, that would be fun. I never had the message, it's not high enough. We need to perform more. It was not like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not not for, for that kind of thing. Um, and I, I think as long as you're seeing it as, we could be here and stay here, and we could also go there, and that would be fine. That would be great. Um, if you can let go of this comparison as if there was something like, um, intrinsic about it, you know, like that's what judgment is. It's really an attachment to an evaluation. The evaluation is fine. That you like better what you can play now that what you could play yesterday, fine. But when you start to feel like that's much better, you know, it's like 
I'm that before it was not good enough. It, that it, you're, you're ruining your experience uh, without any uh, need for for that. It's um, aren't there these moments where you can't catch a vision for something that is good in the future because you haven't experienced it yet, and it requires something in the moment that feels pretty strenuous and. And so there needs, what's the motivational structure that you think is advantageous for moving from a place from A to B? Like, for example, like when your dad's like, oh, come on, come on, it's going to be so good. And you're thinking, I'm tired, my legs hurt, I don't want to keep going. And dad's like, it will be worth it. Like if you just come to the top and then you see the vista and, and, and the beautiful view. Like, what is the motivational structure? Because I agree with you when you say it's like, it can't be our value and our worth. Like, if we don't achieve, if we don't perform, then we're insufficient and we're terrible. Like, and, and that's, it's easy to latch onto because that's really motivating. Like when you really do believe if I don't get this PhD, I'm not uh, valuable in the community. My opinions yeah. don't matter. That's a very motivating reason to get. Oh yes. It's PhD. a strong motivator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, it corrupts you. And, and then yeah. it, you, you become resentful of the PhD later. Like I've, or I've seen that in people that have done that. There's a, there's a huge risk in being motivated by uh, avoidance or by uh, external uh, factors like yeah, uh, people yeah. are going to reject me or that way I will be. The risk is that uh, first you'll be, uh, you might be disappointed uh, because uh, that might, you know, might get what you think. Why? Because if it comes from the outside, it's you don't control it as much, especially when it's a social, um, form of, of, uh, of approval because people are complex changing and you know they say something and they don't they don't follow through or they just or you most of the time is that you expect something like people are gonna love me if I have a PhD well yeah they might be impressed uh, and then move on <laughs> and, and you know what when you have a PhD you'll you'll be around people who have PhDs and what you're going to discover is that you change your reality is that it's not so special now so it's it's, it's just all these things are, are strong motivators but motivators for what that's the idea is that for what what difference will it make you know like i i don't care about the titles like uh, phds doctors and things my students ask me uh, at the beginning of each quarter how should we uh, call you and uh, i'm like well call you the way you want and if i respond then this works <laughs> and and it's not a i'm not having a game is that i I'm, let's let go of all these things i yeah. i don't hang my degrees on the wall, I don't do this kind of thing. And I, I know I say that with judgment, I, 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 there's judgment, so I'm gonna try to let go of that. Mm. It's, there's a, there's, people do what they want, what they feel. It, it, it might mean a lot of different things to people. And for me, I am a place where it's, it means something to, to have achieved certain things and to not think that it defines me. Mm. And if, the last thing I would want, even though I know I still fall in that trap, is to tell people that they are not good enough because they are not doing what I'm doing. Mm. Right? So do what you feel like you need to, to do, and I'm sure you know what's best for you. Mm. Now you're going to tell me, how can you be a, a teacher, a therapist, a coach, and speak like that? Well, I'm learning. And just like Carl Rogers uh, saying, you know, he had to to unlearn, I would not say unlearn because I don't think we can really unlearn, but he had to change certain things about his approach, like teaching people, giving advice. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm evolving in this regard. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think uh, what's beautiful about that is 
it uh, it brings people into closer relationship and proximity with you when you don't mm-hmm. hold their same standards about what makes them valuable and what doesn't make them valuable. Yeah, I agree. Because uh, I think that that looseness, that openness that you hold, even something like being such an accomplished academic as you are, being um, a professor, being, you know, having written very successful books, and it's like holding that open-handed actually invites other people to hold their own standards that they hold themselves to in order yeah. to be valuable more, in a more open-handed way. And to pay yes. attention and, and to see that yes. and and not through a way of judgment or telling people you need to be more humble or, or something, yeah. you know, yeah. um, with a moral indictment. It's it's almost by example. It's yes. inviting yes. them into a freedom. Yes, just what I was saying about my daughter. Hey, if I if I let her be free to paint her work the way she wants, and if while she's doing that, I'm doing something that I feel is more interesting, then she can do what she wants, enjoy it, and see me do something different, and she can be curious about it. And we are both experiencing freedom and doing something together, which is connection. I think this is the most important thing I can give her. I was gonna mm-hmm. teach, teach, but give her more than you see. If you take a different color, which is fine, <laughs> but the spirit, I think, is is uh, important. There, it's like okay, you're free. We're we're enjoying ourselves, and you know what? I'm doing my own thing too. And oh, you want me to to show you how I do? Sure, I'll do it to you. And mm-hmm. I try to be more like that. I'm not I'm not doing it right yet but notice as i'm just saying this how <laughs> the that's, an, that's an illustration of i'm not doing it right when i will stop saying that it's not because i will have found it is that i will get another level probably of uh man well language is such a tricky thing that we're not performing well enough at letting go at performing <laughs> it's it's a funny thing yeah i'm so thankful for this time and this conversation and and I want to reiterate again, not, not just to <laughs> inflate your ego or, or, to, um, or to put you on a higher pedestal, but my, my thankfulness. I, I think you're, you're someone I deeply trust. I, I love in our conversations being able to wrestle back and forth. And even when I feel like there's a wrestling or you're trying to show me something and I don't quite get it and we're, we're moving closer, you never put me into the linear you have to get from A to B. And, and I've always felt that acceptance and you've modeled this, this ability that feels so paradoxical of, of letting go of having to be right and know, mm. and yet sharing something that expands freedom and, yeah. and lets go of rigidity. And this paradoxical way of teaching has been something I, I want to embody. And that's why I think I, I hound you so incessantly for time to get to talk to you. And so I'm thankful. Well, I'm thankful for that. Just the connection, the, the opportunity to talk, and, and yeah, I hope people will find something interesting in this, and uh, just like the, the, the pleasure of, of sharing a, a moment, you know, of exploration together. That's really what uh, brings me most satisfaction. <laughs>